Good afternoon and welcome to News 24 On Air, our live audio service. I'm Sheldon Morais, News 24's Assistant Editor for Breaking News. Today I'm joined by Deputy Business Editor Ahmed Arif and Investigative Journalist Carl Cowan as we discuss ESCOM load shedding Stage 6 and the possibility of the implementation of Stage 8 load shedding. Yes, Stage 8. Ahmed and the business team lead News 24's coverage of ESCOM and load shedding, while Kyle is one of the leading journalists and observers of ESCOM and authored a book titled Sabotage, ESCOM Under Siege. Thanks, Ahmed and Kyle. Let's jump straight into it. There certainly is a lot to discuss. Ahmed, our rest of weekend was pierced of its joy on Sunday when ESCOM announced Stage 6 load shedding, well, at least for the foreseeable future. Why are we at stage six? Hey, so uh, there's a range of things that we need to establish first before we can talk about why stage six has happened. So just so everyone understands, there's a whole range of capacity that's already off the grid. You know, you have three units at Kusile that are out because there was that slurry buildup at one of the units, which caused the flu to collapse, which effectively took out two other units. And at the same uh, power station at Kusile, you had uh, Fire at Unit 5 before it could be synchronized to the grid. So all in all, that's at least 2,800 megawatts that's already out of capacity. You know, then you got Kubug uh, 1 that, Kubug 1 is out uh, to replace the steam generator, so that's 928 megawatts that's not on the grid. And then Madupi 4 had that big explosion a couple of years back, and that obviously is supposed to add 800 megawatts of power to the grid. And then there's a bunch of other stuff, including the fact that the heating, the cooling system, sorry, at Matimba doesn't work efficiently, so they're losing at least 600 megawatts of capacity. That's all, it's all stuff that's just not there already. That's capacity <laughs> that, regardless of anything else, is oh. not there. Add to that breakdown the power stations every now and again, and then, you know, you uh, have units that are being serviced, and they're not, they don't come back from service on time. And then on, this, on the weekend... There was some work that had to be done in Kuburg Unit 2. And uh, they eventually led to a trip on the system, especially with regards to the, the not, not the entire core. It was actually just a basic uh, trip of a turbine. So they at least got that back on track uh, before uh, it got worse. So it at least took a day out of, uh, out of uh, the schedule. But the big one, which actually led to stage six is the weather. And because of the weather, you had a problem where the Latabo power station in the Val couldn't get coal from the new Val mine. So they needed fresh new coal because, as Thomas Conradi, the head of generation, said yesterday, they have a nice big coal stockpile there. It's just that the coal is actually wet. So again, on top of all of this, you've got power stations that are poorly maintained, there's sabotage, there's syndicates that have been stealing coal. Then you had this chain of events that happened on the weekend. And what you left with eventually is a situation where half of ESCOM's capacity, a base load capacity is gone, just not there. And demand obviously outstrips that capacity by at least nearly 6,000 megawatts, hence stage six. Now, I mean, the leading story on News 24 business today 
it does exactly what you've just you know taken us through you document you know how we've got to stage six and the record outages but it also has a look at stage eight now we've heard stage eight mentioned before as a possibility um, how real is the threat and what is stage eight so you know the Eskom always kind of cautions when talking about stage eight They're like it might happen but you know just be careful same same line from uh, CEO underwriter yesterday he said that the worst that he can expect things to get to is stage eight. And while they don't anticipate an actual jump to stage eight, they have contingencies in place to actually deal with stage eight when it happens. You know, he always uh, is careful to to mention that ESCOM uses load shedding as a, as a lever to prevent actual blackout. Because, you see, the system has this heartbeat at the center of it, this frequency of 50 hertz. And if you lose that, then that's it. That's no stage eight, no stage nine. That's a system blackout. And to restart the system is going to take, at minimum, probably like two weeks. So that's two weeks with no electricity. You know, you know when, when there's a little power issue and here in Gauteng you have the water stuff because a pump is out. Imagine that for two weeks everywhere. Imagine people not being able to buy whatever they want to. Imagine people not being able to charge their phones. Can't get in touch with loved ones. So I, I can't even imagine what will happen to SA with an actual blackout. Hopefully, ESCOM utilizes load shedding enough, and they'll, I, I probably think they will reach probably stage 12 even before they actually get to a situation where there'll be an actual blackout. Mm. But the way he usually, uh, uh, CEO Andre Reiter usually phrases it, he says the probability of a blackout is low. He's not saying it's not going to ever happen. He just says that the probability is low. But, I mean, but if it does happen... You know, our, our columnist Nick Headley uh, mentioned it quite aptly yesterday. He says, South Africa will be a dystopian nightmare. Oh, I mean, quite, quite something to, 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 <laughs> to take in and to, and to, and to cap that, um, you know, that, that answer, at least a dystopian nightmare. Um, so basically what you're saying to us is load shedding at this point in time where we find ourselves contextually, contextually is a necessary evil. Pretty much, exactly. I mean, it's it's the way we need to function to prevent total chaos. It's 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 that wall holding it back, you know. I mean, let me save my my imagination from going down that road by asking you what came out of yesterday's presser. So obviously, Eskom having a presser yesterday um, to update the nation on you know stage six as it was announced on on Sunday. So, so by and large, what, what, what I've spoken about already, the kind of context about why stage six happened, that's why they had to have that briefing to explain that, look, guys, this is all the things that happened over the course of the last couple of days, which is why we have stage six. You know, but one of the interesting things I think everyone wanted to know about was what's happening with diesel. And they did at least touch on the diesel matter a bit yesterday. And previously, o- over the course of last year, there was a bit of a back and forth with ESCOM and Treasury this is after ESCOM basically like burned through over 12 billion rand in diesel, over oh, double its budget. And, and the diesel is used by ESCOM to burn uh, the open cycle gas turbines, which when they're going full, ten, full tilt, sorry, can basically bring load shedding down at least two stages. So when things were really bad last year, ESCOM wasn't burning any diesel because ESCOM had no money to do it and it had a bit of a tiff with treasury. But it looks now like now that at least that's sorted and at least uh, the the CEO yesterday, aside from giving the context, context of what's happening with stage six, kind of said that Treasury is at least now guaranteeing 
any loans, ESCOM has to take out for, with the banks for diesel. At least you've got Treasury's backing for stuff like that. And uh, I think that's helpful because those, that diesel is integral to actually keeping us probably at the stage if it's going at full tilt from stage eight now, you know? Mm. Now, now, we know that politics is economics, economics is politics, and load shedding is both. You know, we saw it mentioned in, in, in the President's State of the Nation address. You mentioned Treasury and ESCOM's reliance on Treasury for funds. How do we expect ESCOM and the, uh, well, I suppose the energy crisis to be addressed? We've got a budget speech coming up tomorrow. How do we anticipate the, the, the finance minister addressing it? So uh, what everyone is anticipating is details from finance minister, you know, Korangwana, on the plan he announced way back when in the medium-term budget last year that Treasury is basically taking on at least 400 billion rand of ESCOM's debt. What everyone wants to know is how, how is that configured? Uh, that's ideally the crux of the matter. Uh, our, our writer at large and resident genius, Carol Payton, one of the th- ways she kind of spoke about it in her piece this morning was a straightforward way would be for, for Treasury to offer uh, holders of ESCOM bonds a straight swap for government bonds. You know, but the problem is that you're going to face probably litigation and there's so many other technicalities to deal with. So a lot of that in terms of what happens with that 400 billion rand and how they do it, whether they're going to increase equity in ESCOM, no one knows. Everyone wants to know what that is. And I think most of the rating agencies, most of external parties viewing what, what Enoch's going to say tomorrow is looking for details on the 400 billion rand. But what we're also looking for is more details on the tax incentives for businesses and households for solar power. This is, was obviously a reference by the president in the State of Nation address. You know, there could be a zero rating for, of VAT for solar PV equipment. So that's your solar panels, your inverters, your batteries, which would, be, would go a long way, kind of moving people towards going solar. And in that same State of the Nation address, the president basic also announced that Treasury is working to adjust the, the bounce-back scheme. The bounce-back scheme was something that was created uh, after COVID, but also to accommodate businesses that were affected by the flooding or the July riots. And uh, it seems like they're going to reconfigure what the bounce-back scheme is to be able to offer loans to small businesses to go solar. Obviously, at, at probably better rates, at probably lots of other details that could benefit those businesses in specific ways. That's what we're looking forward to. Let's hope it plays out. Thanks. That was uh, Ahmed Arif, uh, News 24's Deputy Business Editor. To, to read more on the situation Ahmed was telling us about and to get that, that column uh, by Carol Payton, which has a look into load shedding and what we can expect from the, um, the budget speech tomorrow from uh, Finance Minister Inok Gonongwana, go to News24, click on Business, and you'll be able to, to get that really good read. Helps you understand how we're in this situation where we've got record outages um, and helps you understand just what exactly we're facing and how real of a threat um, stage eight is. I'm now joined by Kyle Cowan, investigative reporter um, at News24, uh, a leading observer. I think he, he lives, breathes ESCOM, um, probably too, too much at times for his own liking. But he's authored a book, Sabotage, ESCOM Under Siege. I can't help but thinking from what Ahmed it's like it's it's the cynic in me says that this is too coincidental all the circumstances we're facing Carlin, let's start with that that topic i mean how big of a problem is sabotage 
at ESCOM. Big enough that I wrote a book about it. Um, it's not only about the power stations, Charlotte. It, it, it's also about the political and ideological opposition to not only having two white men running ESCOM successfully, to having President Cyril Ramaphosa succeeding in turning ESCOM around, to having Praveen Gordhan succeeding, turning it around. There is a real sort of ideological opposition to any of that working out. There's commercial interest in terms of breaking units down, getting the contracts to fix them again. There's also uh, a, a deeper, sort of more worrying thing about this. And that's just, you know, let's just see the world burn. Let's just break things because they can be broken. Let's steal things because they are there to be stolen. And it's often very difficult to sift through what is what is what is what and how do you categorize all these different things. The overarching reality, however, and this is what the listeners must be very, very clear about, the reason why these power stations break all around the same time is when they start up, start ramping up in the mornings or start ramping up in the evenings, when the operators are asking more from these power stations, that's when they start breaking down because that's when the faults sort of exacerbate. And the breakdowns happen quickly after one another, so it always appears strange. Mm -hmm. But if you know how ESCOM operates, the units sort of run at 50%, 40% capacity during the day when demand is low. Um, early in the mornings, when we all wake up and have a cup of coffee, um, I myself go outside for a smoke with my coffee. Everyone is doing that in the country at this exactly the same time. Demand rises, so they have to ramp up the unit's operations. When that happens, breakdowns. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it's sort of it's extremely difficult mm -hmm. to discern between someone breaking something on purpose and maybe a 45-year-old thing just breaking because it's 45 years old and hasn't been treated well. Now, Kyle, you... You describe the now, you know, the, the, the sabotage now. You talk about the, the breaking down now. But how did we get here? Because mm. it obviously didn't start off that way. No. So let's go back to 1998. Uh, South Africa is four years into democracy. The cabinet uh, then says, we need to make an investment decision, i.e. we need to decide to spend more money on additional electricity generation capacity by the next year, by 1999. And... They didn't do that. They waited until 2005, about a couple of months after South Africa was awarded the 2010 Soccer World Cup. Then they suddenly realized, oh dear, we've got a massive problem here. Because at the same time, there was a huge electrification program going on. At the time, it was the biggest electrification program in the world. And we all know that millions of households in this country were excluded by the apartheid regime from access to electricity, access to the economy, all along racial lines, right? So ESCOM, biggest electrification program in the world, it's adding more customers just as the government is saying, we're not really going to build new capacity now. You as ESCOM just want surplus capacity. It's not really going to help the country. Then the Soccer World Cup comes and everyone's like, oh dear, okay, now we are really going to run out of electricity by 2007. So they build the two open cycle gas turbine power stations, Ankerlich and Chorikwa in Mossel Bay and in Cape Town. And then they start with the construction of Madupi, Kusile, and Ingula in, in KZN. Seven years too late. Um, some would argue maybe even up to 10 years too late. They should have started building new power stations probably around 97, 95 even. Didn't do that. So that left us with a shortage of capacity. Shortage of capacity means two things. 
you don't have enough time and space to take your existing power stations offline for maintenance right at the exact moment where you're supposed to maintain them more because what you're doing is running them harder than what they should be running to keep up with demand. Do that for a decade, for 15 years on power stations that are on average 46, 47 years old and you'll land up in a situation where we are now where you can pretty much semi-predictively predict that there will be four to five breakdowns every single morning, every single evening. Now, Kyle, we've looked at the present. We've looked at how we got here, the past. Let's move it forward a bit. Let's look Mm. at the short-term future. Government's got a two-year plan. We've heard an electricity Mm. minister. We had the state of disaster um, um, announced, you know, uh, gazetted. What is the next two-year? What does government's two-year plan look like? So the most important thing about the two-year plan to understand this is, so government and ESCOM have identified a series of targeted interventions that they're going to try and focus on to bring load shedding to an end conveniently. You know, all of this is coming out about a year before an election. That plays a massive role in all of this, but let's not have a political discussion. Let's have a technical one. The two-year plan relies almost completely on bringing Kusile power stations downed capacity back to life. So we're talking about 2,800 megawatts there, 2,100 offline since October, another 700 offline since September of 2022. Bringing that capacity back online by the end of this year seems to be the core of the plan. The rest of the plan is basically allowing the private sector with embedded generation, with rooftop solar, all of these things, trying to make those enabling environments, you know, so that people can cheaply and more easily get solar for their homes if they can afford it, which, you know, most South Africans cannot. Mm. Um, And that will ease the strain on ESCOM just enough that within those two years, rather cynically, the politicians will be able to turn around and claim that they've fixed ESCOM, when in fact... They've made ESCOM's job easier. So we need to understand that distinction. Mm, it's it's mm. not you're not fixing ESCOM. There is there isn't a company on earth with enough money and time that you can send to one of these <laughs> old power stations that will be able to fix it within two years. Uh, I, I will be willing to put money on that. So that's the important distinction. It will, however, get worse before it gets better. Okay. What we have to understand is that the state of these power stations is so poor, is so pathetic. They are so dilapidated and so unreliable that at one point or another, we will reach stage eight within the next two years. The question will be how long this will continue and how badly it will affect the economy. So ESCOM being able to manage its leadership struggles and all the power vacuums that are going to exist within the next few months there and all the political interference while they try and juggle this massive technical challenge that's going to be key. That's going to be the most important job for whomever is mm. crazy enough to take over from Andre Dereiter. Talking about Andre Dereiter, Jan Oberholzer, the COO, they're on their way out. Um, what is you know? What are the implications for leadership? And and I suppose on the back mm. of that, do you know of anyone who's applied for that ESCOM job? No. Um, and, you know, I think it would be useless to speculate because inevitably what happens when the media speculates around appointments like these without any solid foundation, we get it hopelessly wrong and then people just laugh at us. So the problem with the speculating around this is, is that there are plenty of good candidates, there are plenty of qualified people. 
whether or not the South African government can remotely pay them enough or entice them to come back to South Africa or to take on this job for those who are already here, I don't think so. Think about the revelations around the political opposition that the current CEO has faced over the past three years. The the sheer level of just political ineptitude and you know, just political pressure as well that they have to try and deal with in terms of Gwede Mantashe versus Pravin Godan versus the president versus whoever this new minister of electricity will be. It's an environment that is just, you know, it's going to be toxic, it's going to be confusing, it's going to be chaotic because at the same time you have a chairperson of the board in Mr. Paul Makwana who's also trying to run the show at the same time. So the new CEO is going to have to be someone with I, you know, the, the Afrikaans have a saying: you have to have hair on your teeth. You have to, you have to. Um, uh, it escapes me now, but you have to be very tough. You have to be very smart, and they, they they're going to have to be like a bare knuckle boxer. They're going to have to be willing to to fight when the moment is right, but be diplomatic when they also need to be. Most important thing that they're going to have to do is weather the political pressure running up to an election. So basically, record high uh, EQ levels, uh, coupled with record high engineering IQ levels as well, and the technical skills. Carl, you've painted a scenario where, you know, as we move, you know, those South Africans, but both businesses and uh, individuals who can afford it, moving to, to solar options, uh, that will naturally uh, decrease the demand on ESCOM, so I suppose the the, 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 the the irony is that you'd need to fix ESCOM less because there's less demand, right? Yeah. Demand and supply. Should ESCOM still exist? We've had, you know, talks of splitting it in three, you know, in the past and there have been, you know, there was a change, a change, C, um, a change executive, mm-hmm. you know, restructuring, sorry, restructuring, that's the word. Should ESCOM still exist or is that... Too much of an airy fairy question, actually. It's not. It's a very important question. Um, ESCOM was born uh, next month, a hundred years ago, um, in, in one way, shape, or form, as it as it exists now. Um, during a time where the world was very, very different, Polit- political ideology, ideology, and political thinking was different. Practical thinking was different. Um, ESCOM is vertically integrated, state-owned monopoly. Um, that is failing to provide a basic service to 60 million South Africans. So the problem that ESCOM has today is that politically, the people in charge of ESCOM, i.e. the politicians and the ministers and so on, do not see the need to get rid of ESCOM or SAA, for that example, a company that's in even worse state than ESCOM, if you can believe that, Um, because this is what they know to be correct political dogma in that sense. We are the state. We're going to do it this way. There's like a semi-socialist Marxist vibe behind all of it. And yes, maybe Gwede Mantashe read an old Marxist textbook somewhere while he was in exile and he has never read anything else since. I'm not sure. But it sort of sits within the ANC's belief system that the state must be the provider and seer and giver and controller of all that moves within the borders of the sovereignty. And, you know, that political persuasion and ideology has failed elsewhere in the world for very good reasons because it just doesn't work. But in South Africa, that is our political reality. The ANC and especially the elders in the ANC believe that this is the way that things should be done. ESCOM should not exist as it exists anymore. 
It is too big. It is too cumbersome. It is too much for any body, law enforcement agency, whatever, to protect all at the same time. Mm. So if you do what other countries have done, remember ESCOM is the last of these massive state-owned power utilities that provides, what, 80%, 88% of South Africa's electricity when it can, existing in the world. Why? Because diversifying your electricity market, i.e. unbundling into division, transmission, distribution, you create more opportunity for competition. When you create opportunity for competition, things become cheaper, innovation happens, more players entering the market means Mm. better for everybody. I've argued, in my opinion, pieces on News24 before, ESCOM needs to be dissolved and privatized. These power stations, the state is not capable of running these power stations. That's very obvious. That's why we're sitting with load shedding. Power stations are broken. What needs to happen is we need to diversify that market. But Mm. government's role here, very importantly, needs to be to protect the consumer from price gouging, from ridiculous increases in electricity prices, these sort of things. Because a private sector player is going to come in, take a power station like Tatuka and say, oh dear, this is going to cost us an enormous amount of money to fix. So how, as in a normal business model, how do you compensate for spending so much money on fixing something that you are eventually going to use to provide a service to people. Mm. You charge them more for the service, right? It's mm. it's basics. Government needs to protect the consumer from that, regulate the industry. But in terms of actually being in charge of running the day-to-day business of something like ESCOM, Transnet, SAA, PetroSA, AlexCorp, the mining company, <laughs> the South African government has proven to us mm. time and time again, they don't know anything about business, they don't know how to enable business, They shouldn't be running them. They should be controlling the regulatory space, listening to what people say to them. It's that simple. Carl Cowan putting forward an an interesting um, economic landscape. Open up, free market, let competition thrive, but have government equally regulate to, as you rightfully mentioned, there's a large part of our our society which needs protecting from from, um, predatory business behavior. Kyle, just my last one to you. Um, politics aside, you know, we've got, we're on stage six. If you look at any chart, if you're in Johannesburg, I understand Cape Town, you know, from, from people who live there, they're on stage five effectively. So they have less than eight hours. If you're up in Johannesburg and other parts of the country, you've got two two-hour blocks and then one massive four-hour block currently. What can we expect over the next coming days just 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 i just want to get to the weekend what can i expect by saturday sunday you, you're crystal balling me um you know with escom it's so impossible to predict um i mean i could sit here and tell you that we'll reduce two stages when in fact we'll go to stage eight before the weekend who knows it depends on what happens but i think the most important and and the safest thing for me to say expect one form of load shedding either stage two to stage six consistently for the next six months to a year, year and a half, two years. Expect it to be there. The reason why ESCOM doesn't say to you, oh, we're going to have stage two load shedding for the next two years is because then when they have to implement stage four, five, six, we turn around and accuse them of lying and saying they don't know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. So expect some form of load shedding. Into the weekend, it's probably going to stay pretty much where it is right now. There's a lot of uncertainty around returning some of these units. The coal, fortunately, the weather is better today. And yes, wet coal is a real problem. 
I know it sounds <laughs> funny, but it is a real <laughs> issue. Um, weather's looking much better today, so hopefully out there in Vereniging, the sun is shining nicely and Latabo can bring its units back online. Actually, this is the last one, because you mentioned coal and you mentioned flippantly. I mean, we all think, oh, gosh, ESCOM, wet coal. Please just explain to, and, and you know, I'm, I'm totally an idiot's guide to, yeah. to, to ESCOM, right? Um, why you can't store coal in a some covered sort of structure that c- prevents some of the rain. You could, um, but the problem is, is that you're talking about a power utility that doesn't have problems with massive rainfall and wet coal every single day. Okay. It happens occasionally, and then the impacts are massive, but the cost of building a... I mean, the coal stockyards at these power stations are absolutely massive. Okay. So you have to really make a massive capital investment from the very beginning to build this kind of thing. And then, again, it's another structure that ESCOM has to maintain and sort of, you know, okay. it's bad. So what happens is, effectively, the, the coal doesn't become wet like, you know, if you dunk a towel in, a, in, in your bath. Mm. That's soaking wet, right? The coal becomes just wet enough that... So ESCOM's power stations runs on very bad quality coal. Mm. They don't really, bu- it doesn't really burn very well. There's a lot of high ash content, and the power stations were designed for that because that type of coal is cheap and abundant, mm. right? And what happens at at Latabo now, for example, at Inverinaching, the coal is just wet enough that it doesn't make sense to keep running the boilers at full flame because you're using so much coal to try and get the same power output. Okay, and it's just. Not and then at the same time you're building up a whole lot of sludge and ash and it's really difficult to move this wet coal. So there are design problems with the coal stockyards because this is not a problem that ESCOM had in the past because of course it wasn't being forced to run its power stations at 98, 99% capacity, boom, 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 every day. So it's something that ESCOM has to address. They have addressed it at other power stations where, you know, raising the, the floor of the coal stockyards so there's better water drainage, that sort of thing. Um, but at Latabo, I think might be the first time that this has happened so I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that they'll be trying to sort that out very very quickly all right thanks so much kyle cowan that was kyle cowan investigative uh, journalist at news 24 and ahmed arif news 24's deputy business editor keeping you giving you you know the latest on load shedding stage six the possibility of stage eight um and and what you need to know and how we got here right i think it's it's quite a sobering conversation thank you gents just a reminder um those those reports that that amit spoke about you can find on news 24 business uh, as well as well as carol payton's um column today on load shedding and the uh, finance minister's budget speech coming up tomorrow stay with news 24 on our app on the website as we bring you the latest on load shedding as well as the, the, the finance minister's budget speech, which is going to be quite key um, as we see the money that's going to make Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, plans to fight load shedding uh, come to life. I'm Sheldon Morias. Uh, thank you for listening to us on News 24 On Air, our live audio service to you. Uh, stay tuned to News 24 for all the latest news on load shedding and more.